You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Trouble is mankind's common denominator. You've either had some, have some now, or you're going to have some in the future. And if you don't understand that, you're not yet fully equipped to be happy. I'm going to be utterly simplistic this morning. And then I'm going to be contradictory and confusing also, but... uh, This is the simplistic part of the message. Jesus is the solution. He proved himself to be just that way in a story we find in John chapter 5. And so those of you who would like to read along or look at these verses, it's John 5, 1 through 9. And we've been studying the book of John uh, for the last several months. And so I'm going to read from those verses. Let me do this. Let me, let me pray. Let's stand up a second and pray. Come on, let's do that. A little bit different this morning. And let's, and see, if I pray for you, that's one person. If we all pray for each other, that's a bunch of us. And what I want us to pray is that God would help us today, that he would speak to us through his word. There's this one verse that talks about the manifold wisdom of God. And what that literally means to me is the many-sided, the very variated wisdom of God. And in one verse of Scripture, God can show people almost contradictory things that actually help both parties. I've seen that over and over. So I want God, and that's my prayer this morning, I want you to agree with me that you would speak to us, Lord, from your word that you would make a difference in our lives this morning because of what you've deposited in the Bible and you can release by the Spirit. Who wants that? Come on, ask him. Say, Lord, give me that. Give me that. Yeah, give me that. Give me that, Lord. Me too. Amen. Thank you. Well, we're looking at the story of the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And... The background of the story we'll find out is that there was a man who had been lame for 38 years. Now, verse 1, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate, there's a pool called in Aramaic Bethesda or the interpretation of that, the house of loving kindness. And this pool is surrounded by five covered porches. Hundreds of sick people were lying there on the porches. The paralyzed, the blind, and the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters And the first one who stepped into the pool after the water swirled would instantly be healed. How many of you think that's pretty bizarre? Well, there are a lot of bizarre things that really go on out there that uh, 
we don't understand. I was thinking about all the questions. We'll see this in a minute. All the questions that, uh, that God asked. You know, we, we ask him questions. He doesn't usually answer them. He usually asks us questions to identify our real problems. How many of you are aware that's a lot of what the Lord does? And you see the most prolific batch of questions that are asked in the Bible, God asked Job. And he goes through this, I can't remember all of them. Can you pull Leviathan out of the depth with a hook? And he's talking about uh, like one of the um, cluster of stars. You know, he asks him all these questions that he can't answer. And the idea there is this. We may never understand what happened to us. We may not have the capacity to understand it. That really, that really hit well, I could tell. that really. But the idea here is the object and the idea of having faith in God is for those times when we don't really understand what's going on. And we're going to see this here in this story uh, uh, with Jesus. So, there were hundreds of sick people at the pool of Bethesda. Um, apparently, at times, an angel would come down and swirl the water, and the first person that got in would get healed. And so we find that there was a man here in verse 5 who had been disabled for 38 years, lying among the multitude of the sick. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. So Jesus said to him, Do you truly long to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, there's no way I can get healed, for I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately he stood up and he was healed. So he rolled up his mat and walked again. Now this miracle took place on the Jewish Sabbath. Pardon me, Sabbath day. Um, There's so much in these portions and, and reading through this over the last week or so, even over the last number of years, I've had different ideas. I've had different thoughts. Um, I've had my own different questions about it. But I will be perfectly honest with you this morning, unlike any other morning I've been here. (laughs) It's funny when you have to defend how honest you're going to be, right? Something's wrong somewhere, but uh, I simply do not understand what happened here. I don't get it. We're going to see why I don't get it. But there's so much that goes on here that searches my heart. And I think it will search yours too. And I think there are times where God needs to ask us questions. He needs to probe us so that sometimes we will take a look at things we don't always want to look at. But it's usually those things that keep us from progressing in life. It's usually the things we don't want to think about that if we will honestly think about them with the Lord, our lives will change in ways that make a difference. 
And so when I read verse 6 and I read it again, Jesus said, do you truly long to be healed? Now, the man had been crippled for 38 years, and Jesus asked him that question. Well, in the past, I thought that Jesus was asking a question many of us may really need to answer when he said, do you really long to be healed? Meaning, are you using your condition, whatever your condition is, to avoid living at your highest capacity? You want me to say that again? Yeah. When Jesus said, do you really long to be healed? Now, here's a guy positioning himself in the only way he knows he can to be healed after having suffered with the inability to walk, I guess, for over 38 years. And so Jesus asked him this question. Do you really long to be healed? I think I would probably have been offended. How about you? Of course. But that could mean something deeper than whether or not he wants to be healed. It could mean, are you using this condition you've had to avoid living at your highest capacity? Are you avoiding your responsibility by hiding behind a condition? How many of you know, not you, how many of you know somebody else who hides behind their problem? Yeah, I wish they'd stop. It would be good for us all. Another question. Have you given in to self-pity instead of discovering how to live in spite of your circumstances? In closing, <laughs> a friend of mine used to say there's no bad short sermon, so. All right, but there's something else going on here in the verb tense structure that do you want to be healed doesn't fully relate to us. And I think we need to see this. The verb tense actually yields a little bit more complicated meaning than do you want to be healed. It can mean, oh, this, and this, is, this is where our minds just quit working, okay? So go ahead and turn yours off or turn it back on, but then turn it back off. Are you convinced that you are already made whole? Jesus could have been saying that to that man who was not whole. Are you already convinced? Are you convinced that you are already made whole? Because the Greek phrase uh, there is actually not a future tense. Do you want to be healed? But it's, for argument's sake, an aorist middle infinitive. Look that up. That indicates something has already been accomplished. And so Jesus may be asking the crippled man if he's ready to abandon how he sees himself and now receive the faith for his healing, which is in the way that Jesus happens to be seeing him by faith. How many of you are getting that? That's another way to look at that verse. Do you want to be healed? Are you hiding behind your condition? Are you refusing to face up to your responsibility? Are you living in self-pity? Or do you already see yourself as healed? Well, that man who had been crippled for 38 years, couldn't walk for 38 years, 
he had a little bit of trouble with Jesus' question. But let's go on. Let me, let, you want me to dig in this a little bit deeper? Jesus' question may have much more to do with how you view yourself. Talked about identity a couple of weeks ago and the whole process Peter went through. And uh, every time Jesus used the term Peter and not Simon, he was revealing to Simon Peter his true identity. And see, we do not know how we view ourselves until we're in crisis. We did not realize we viewed ourselves as a businessman until we got fired and we could no longer do our business. And since we didn't know who we were, we had a, I don't know who I am crisis. But the idea that I believe the Lord is sharing is this. Your identity has to be fixed on this one thing. God loves you. God is committed to you. God has no intention of leaving you or deserting you, but he may not answer all your questions. He may not explain everything to you to your satisfaction. You're going to have to trust him. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a sick person? Do you see yourself as damaged goods? Do you see yourself as someone who's problematic? Oh, none of those, although they could be true at some level, none of those ideas or concepts are who you really are. So, do you let a specific illness or a condition or a bad experience or a negative viewpoint of yourself keep you from believing God for the next thing he wants to do in your life? That's the question. We've talked about this. I've mentioned it a minute ago. One idea is that you must be convinced that you are healed when you haven't yet felt healed. You must be convinced that you are someone other than you think you are so that you can become that person. Let me be honest. None of this makes that much sense to me this morning. Isn't that a ridiculous thing to say? I come proclaiming unto you the word of the Lord. None of this makes sense. But what I'm saying is this, there are aspects of your spiritual life that have to go deeper than reason or understanding or questioning into a realm called trust and into a realm called faith. And you have got to be able to look contradiction and confusion and disappointment and mistreatment and all those things right in the eye and not blink and say, I don't trust you. I don't lean on you. I lean on God. I trust Jesus. That's what it is to be a believer, ladies and gentlemen, when you scrape the barnacles off the hull, when you get down to the bottom line of what this is all about. We want formulas. What is it? Francis Frangipane used to say, we are looking for a manual. We are looking for a how-to. He says, but God doesn't give you a manual. He gives you a person we called Emmanuel, God with us. I think it's important to see that the man didn't seem to have any real faith at all when he got healed. 
And I can't really explain that because I believe the just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I think sometimes God is just so happy with himself, he just does whatever he wants to no matter what condition we're in. And you see that in the Bible. Is it, it is important that we believe God. Well, yes. Is it important that we trust God? Well, yes. But if you don't believe and you don't trust God, that does not mean God won't still do something for you even greater than if you had the most potent faith in the universe. Because you can't figure him out. You can't put him in a box. You can't control him. You can't make him make sense because he doesn't. I, I have, you know, part of what I do over, over the last 40 years is, is funerals. And when there's a tragedy, when somebody passes away, there's so little you can really say that, that makes any difference. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's so little you can really say. One thing I've seen is this, because there are always questions in in. in some of those tragedies, why did this happen? Why did it not? Why didn't it stop? But here's the one thing I have recognized. Jesus didn't come to answer questions so much as he came to participate in life. And if we would compare our tragedy with his tragedy and saw his tragedy as accurately and as completely as it actually was, we would be a little bit embarrassed. Because a perfect man who had never done anything wrong, who devoted his entire life to doing everything he could to help everyone he could, up to the degree that he would offer himself to be butchered and battered and bare in his body, the sins of the world and lose his life at his very peak of potency, well, that's tragedy. That's tragedy. That's the most tragic there is. So he doesn't always answer our questions. Honestly, how many of us wish he would? I do. But I've learned something. God is not the way we want him to be. He's the way he is. And the sooner we relate to him that way, Honestly, the happier we'll be. I'm, I, really, I really do believe this. But when I see Jesus heal this man, I can't really explain that except to say that the person of Jesus made the difference even when logic and lack of faith and needing faith that didn't seem available didn't stop the miracle from happening. Amen. Now, let's look at John 5, 7. So when we look at this episode... Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And here's what the sick man says. There's no way I can get healed. So Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Do you see the fact that you're already healed? I don't know what Jesus was saying. But the man wasn't buying it. He says, there's no way I can get healed. How many of you felt there's no way you can get through whatever you're in? You've ever felt that way? If you haven't felt that way yet, you will. At some point, now I'm not, I'm not putting a curse on you. I'm just saying this is the human condition. There are going to be times where you just don't get it. There are, going to, there are going to be times when you have so much favor in your life, there's nothing you could do hardly to mess it up. 
Then there are going to be times when stuff just goes wrong, and there's hardly a thing you did to get it to go wrong, and there's a hardly a thing you can do to stop it from going wrong. You know what that is? Life. That's where you are. That's what goes on. Now, Jesus says, do you really want to be healed? The man says, there's no way I can get healed. And then he gives his explanation. He says, for I have no one, and, and, the, and I like the, the verse, the actual word. Uh, it says, there's no one who will lower me into the water. Actually, the word is, there is no one who will throw me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try, someone else beats me to it. So the guy says, there's no way I can get healed. The thing I thought about that is we have to recognize that we don't know everything. We have to recognize that when we conclude there is no way, that that's wrong. Our minds, uh, certain people worse than others, have a negative bent to it. Actually, people that study the brain have determined that your brain has this spin cycle in it. <clears throat> this spin cycle that whose purpose is to make you think you're in control. Everybody has that that goes on. The only trouble is it's inaccurate. It's not an accurate analysis of what's going on. So this guy's spin cycle talking to the one who created the cosmos, who's offering to get him healed, tells him, hey, man, there's no way. I have researched this thing. I have studied it extensively, Jesus. And I understand something you don't understand. There's no way out. Let me say this. There are other ways to do things than we think there are. Say that to somebody. Turn to somebody and say, there's another way. Yeah. You know, say, you know that place where you're stuck in your mind? Say that to them. You know that place you're stuck in your mind? You're wrong. You're wrong. Let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. Turn to somebody else and say, you know that place you're stuck in your mind? Come on, Schroeders, get with it. I'm done. All right, did you say, you know that place you're stuck in your mind? I'll say now, you're wrong. You don't know everything. That's called arrogance. Now, I'm not saying anyone in here is arrogant. I am giving you the definition of what it looks like. I wouldn't dare charge you with that. So the, so the guy says, there's no way I can get healed. Well, there are other ways to do things than we think. A sense of frustration, of depression, or of hopelessness indicate at least three things that you are. No, no I'm not giving that out. Oh, okay. You want that? A sense of frustration or depression or hopelessness <clears throat> indicate that you are 
at least these three things. Wrong in your analysis. Have come to a premature conclusion about your situation, not a final one. And that you aren't seeing your situation accurately from heaven's viewpoint. You want me to do that again? Yeah. Yeah, this is important. A sense of frustration or depression or hopelessness indicate this. Read my book, Harbinger of Hope. Chapter, I think, chapter 7, an analysis of hopelessness. Hopelessness is a delusion. Hopelessness is a byproduct of an inaccurate belief structure. Now, it can become a whole lot worse than that, but it's got to start there most of the time. You're hopeless because you're believing things that aren't true. And the way mankind is built is that for true freedom to be in a person's soul, they have to have an accurate belief structure about things. And you know you're wrong when you're depressed. And you know you're wrong when you're hopeless. And you know you're wrong when you're frustrated. Because your conclusions have not landed in a place where the Holy Ghost says, Yes, that's right. Your depression, your confusion, your frustration, your anxiety, or alarm clock saying, Wake up. You're in a bad dream. There were people here earlier. Oh, there you are. I'm sorry I lost you there for a second. But um, all of that comes from, you can, you can indicate these three things about what you are. Wrong in your analysis. How many of you cheerfully admit you're wrong? There was no instantaneous response, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> because that is also part of the human condition. We are looking for who's wrong. But you're wrong in your analysis. You have a premature, inaccurate conclusion about your situation, which means you're wrong in your analysis. And you aren't seeing your situation accurately from heaven's viewpoint, which means you're wrong in your analysis. So all those three things are basically the same thing. So, Here's what's going on. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Disabled man's answer is the no way I can get healed. And so here's Jesus' response. Stand up. Let me go back through that again so we understand what's going on. Jesus' question, do you truly want to be healed? The disabled man's answer, there's no way I can get healed. Jesus' response, stand up. I'm going to do that damage to try to explain what went on there. Because I don't understand what went on there. Jesus said, you know what you can't do? Do it. Do it. So what's the formula? I don't know. I want a formula. I want the formula that gets everybody healed when I work the formula. How do you get people healed? I don't know. Let me tell you this story, though. It's pretty funny. It wasn't funny. It was really awesome. We had a fellow named Gene Hively. We have some people in the church that remember Gene and Betty Hively, yeah. And he had a stroke. He was an old Navy vet, really good guy. 
And when he had a stroke, he spent some time in the hospital down in Columbia at, at the VA hospital. And he was in, but he lived, lived in South Carolina, but right there in Pineville. And he was in my church in Pineville. And um, so I didn't realize the particulars about his, his condition. But as I remember it, he couldn't lift his left arm up above his waist. And he couldn't raise his left leg. He couldn't really lift his knee up. And so the, I, I believe the first time he came back to church was at a Sunday night meeting. And I was at the door. And when he walked in the door, I said, uh, and I didn't really know the practical aspects of his illness. I said, God's going to heal you tonight. And then when he turned around and walked off, I thought, how's that going to happen? What was I thinking? So what we would do, this was at, uh, back during uh, really a, a pretty significant season of outpouring in presence of the Lord. We would, on Sunday nights, we would have worship, and then we'd try to have maybe a short message. Then we would pray for everybody in the building that wanted to be prayed for. And we'd have teams and uh, <laughs> sort of gang up on people. That was really a lot of fun and the Lord touched a lot of people. So I thought, gosh, I told old Hively he's going to get healed. I have no idea how this is going to work or man, how does this happen? So we called it giving people treatments. And what, <laughs> what we would do is we would pray for you for a while and then we would go off and pray for somebody else and then we'd come back and give you another treatment, pray for you. And um, so I walked over to Gene and I said, uh, Gene, we're going to pray for you. Stick both hands up in the air so we can start praying for you. So we went, Whoa. well, I didn't know he couldn't do that. <laughs> and I think, Don, do you remember that night praying for Gene? And, and there's Mark and Rosa, a number of people in the church. Um, so, I, you know. We would pray, sometimes rather forcefully. My wife said, I thought you were going to beat the man up, Robin. I said, I was trying to get him healed. I told him he was going to get healed. I don't had to get him healed. So I was praying for him and asking God to touch him and come Holy Spirit and everything we could think of. And we had worship music going. Then I would wander off and I'd wander back. So 20, 30 minutes, I have stand with both hands up in there. Well, I got tired of praying. And I thought, how am I going to know he's healed? Here I am going to try to get him. How am I going to know he's healed if I don't know what's wrong with him? So he's standing there with like hands, hands up in there. And I said, Gene, what could you not do? He said, I could not raise my left hand above my waist. <laughs> He'd been doing it for like a half an hour. And I've been praying for him and trying to get him healed and trying to figure it out. And I said, well, what else can you not do? He said, oh, I can't lift my left knee even as high as my waist. And I said, well, why don't you do that? He didn't do that. He started dancing on his left leg alone in a way I didn't know anybody could do when they were completely. <laughs> so then we took, off, took a lap around the room just to, I don't know, it was just, just amazing. But I can't really explain how all that worked. I can't explain. I couldn't give you, hey, this is what we're going to do. Everybody in here, um, 
I don't know. Go do what you know what you're sick with and can't do, do it. Maybe that works. I don't know. But here's what I know really is, is at the core. God doesn't give us explanations. He gives us Jesus. He does. He gives us Jesus. And in that context, Jesus, as you invite him in, he, the only way I can put it is he starts messing with you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He starts messing with you. He starts asking you questions or you find yourself in difficult situations where you're praying and you're asking him. But see, he's, he, he tells Jesus there's no way I can get healed. And Jesus says, well, then get up. And the guy gets up. Now, there are a lot of questions here we can keep asking because I think, I think there's value to it. But here's one question. How many of us are waiting for a startling, climactic, dramatic episode for our deliverance when Jesus is standing right in front of us. But I'm not putting anybody down. Do you understand? Because everybody's got, how many of you got unresolved issues at some level? Yeah, look around. Look around. Wave your hands. All you unresolved issue people. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think we have them, and, and, and I'm going to sh- share some practical things here in a minute, but one very impractical but most important idea here is that he doesn't answer all these things. He gives us the person of his son. He gives us Jesus. He gives us the Holy Ghost. And, and honestly, sometimes that's not a good enough answer. I mean, I felt that way before. I want something I can sink my teeth into here. Well, sometimes that's not how it works. How many are waiting for something unique, historic, earth-shaking to occur when the uniquely qualified deliverer himself is available for you right here, right now? Here's another question. What if he never comes through for you the way you want him to? What if he just doesn't? The Lord showed me last summer at the beach. I was meditating and the Lord began to speak to me about what are the big three um, elements of Christianity? It's faith, hope, and love. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, faith, hope, and love are like three sisters. They're related to each other. Faith says, I'm healed before they experience healing. Hope says, I know this thing's going to turn around before it's all over. What does love say? Love says, whether it turns around or not, whether I get healed or not, there's nothing that can get in between me and the affection, the constant affection God has for me. And that's the greatest of the three is love. 
But we still need to believe God for healing. We still need to believe God for miracles. But we've got to understand we're really not in control. We really don't have the right formula. We have the right person, but it's a relational situation with us. He, Jesus doesn't obey us readily. Jesus is the unreasonable answer. Jesus is the logic, frustrating answer to everything we need. Now, I have a few verses I really, I really like a lot I wanted to read in this whole realm. Hebrews 13, 5, For Jesus himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what he means there, he, he says, listen, I'm not going to let you go, never, never mind turn my back and walk away. I'll never leave you, let you go, nor forsake you, desert you or abandon you. And Matthew 28, 20, and lo, I'm with you always. How long? Even till the end of the age. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Let's say that. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world, and I'm the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. There was this old evangelist named R.W. Schambach, sort of a wild, crazy man, but I can remember on the radio, here's what he would say. He says, you don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. Now, the interesting thing about trouble is this. Things can always get worse. Now, now you're thinking I'm being negative. No, no, I'm being honest. Things in your life can always get worse if you don't try to do the right thing about your life. May, may I be that bold this morning? May I be that honest this morning? But here, here's where hope comes in. If you do the right things, if you take responsibility for your life, you have no idea how much better your life can actually become. See, that's what hope, hope is not just an emotion. Hope is built on determining a plan, determining a plan B when that plan doesn't work, having capacity to sling in there a plan C, and determining that you can figure out what it is you actually need to do to progress in your life even though things are difficult. That's what hope's built on. Hope is built on, of course, the Bible. It's built on the ultimate uh, benefit God has for us, but it's also built on this. You taking personal responsibility for your life, doing the right things consistently, because if you do the wrong things consistently, that life that's bothering you will not stay the same. It really will get worse. I heard this guy... Um, on a podcast and he was saying about our generation. Here's what our generation needs as Christians. We need to know, number one, how to pray. You should pray. Now, when I say should, I can't make you pray. I'm just saying that 
part of the equation in getting better in life improving is learning how to pray. You should read your Bible. Why should you read your Bible? Because your Bible has in it stories, concepts, and a potential power released through faith in those words to make your life much better and to make the lives of those around you much better. You should be committed to a local church. Oh, well, isn't that self-serving? Yes, you. It's self-serving for you. I'm going to do this if everybody leaves. So I'm not trying to build this church by calling you and to be committed to this local church. But what I'm saying is, wherever you go, whatever you do, don't talk about community as though it's some idealistic notion when what it actually is is committing long-term to a group of people when everything isn't as good as you want it to be. That's what it is to be a part of a legit community. It isn't about two guys at Starbucks on Wednesday mornings. It's at least that, but it's not ultimately that. Come on, pray, learn how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, go find somebody else who does. Read your Bible, be committed, be generous. Paul says you reap what you sow. The farmer's crop is equal to the amount of seed he plants in the ground. Be generous and commit yourself to being grateful. Learn the art of being appreciative of things. Those are little disciplines every generation needs to adopt. I need to adopt them. Do I pray enough? No. Am I convicted? Yes. Do I read my Bible enough? No. Am I convicted? Yes. Am I committed to the church? Enough. No. Am I generous to a fault? No. Am I committed to being grateful? I'm working on it. See, I'm not the hero. I'm not, hey, look at me, I do it right. No, I'm saying, listen, these things we all need. These things we all can do. All of us have the same common denominator, trouble at some level. You've had it. You may not now. You may have had it. but You may be going to have it in the future. I don't know. But it's the common denominator. And there are things we can do to help us make not just the best of things, to be overcomers. I'm going to close with this. I was privileged to be at Jim Hill's birthday party last weekend. Jim, it was Jim's 70th birthday. And in that room, there was Bobby Coggins. You won't know these names. Jim and Kathy Hill, it's his birthday party. Chuck and Janet Moore were there. Charlie and Luann Wallace were there, Alton and Chris Cox. Michael Sherrill was there. Of course, my wife was there, and a couple named Don and Linda, a couple there named Byron and Becky. And these were people that I met Jesus with back in the late 60s and early 70s. And a number of us were a part of the same church for almost 10 years. And we went through all kinds of things together. 
And at a given point, things didn't work out and we all got scattered, but we all remained friends. But we had a common experience in God that sustained us almost 50 years. And when I looked in that room, I started thinking about, first of all, all the heartache. Are you listening to me? All the heartache represented in that room, in the lives of those people I have known all these years. One of those, one of those couples, uh, the husband and I met in Little League Baseball in 1962. I have known some of these people, not my entire life, but pretty close. And I'm not going to tell you what goes with who, but let me say this. One man's wife died of cancer. His best friend died of cancer. His best friend's actually his business partner. And, and his oldest son died of cancer. Now, we've seen people heal of cancer too, but they, they died. One couple had multiple miscarriages. One of the men had been falsely accused by one of his children of um, violence toward their grandkids. And she defrauded him, took him to court, lied about him, tried to get money from him. And he was totally exonerated in court because she's bipolar and she didn't know what she was doing. That was in that room. One couple lost a million dollars, went from a business owner and a property owner to delivering parts for a Napa warehouse in a truck. They were in that room. One couple lost their firstborn child in an automobile accident as a young teenager. One couple has a bipolar and dangerous son, had cancer of the throat, one of my close friends got married as a young man. His wife was a worship leader. You're not even going to believe what happened to her. She was unfaithful to him. She humiliated him in court. She left him with three children. She became a literal practicing witch and is currently on the Wiccan National Council as a witch. One couple, one of the people had a nervous breakdown, premature loss of their father. Another couple lost a son to cancer. Another couple had twins and lost one of the twins in childbirth. Now, that's, <laughs> how bleak is this? But that was what was represented in that room of believers, devout believers in Jesus. Every category of crisis or difficulty were represented by the lives of those men and women in that room last Saturday night. But here's what I saw. None of them were depressed. None of them were afraid. They were all overcomers. And by the time was, night was over, we were all asking God with enthusiasm and with faith and with joy and with exuberance, God, touch our kids, 
touch our grandkids like you touched us when you did what you did for our lives many years ago. Because what happened to them lasted a lifetime. And it wasn't dependent. Come on, that's right. And it wasn't because God answered every prayer that they wanted to answer. And it wasn't because God answered every question they ever asked him. Because there was something more profound. There was something deeper. There was something richer. There was something more special than having God on a string like a monkey we're playing with at the county fair somewhere. He is a real person. He will touch you in ways you will never in a good way recover from. And you may get knocked sideways, but you will stand back up. You may be wounded you may be hurt but your mind will clear again because he's good and he's committed to us and we don't have to get it all right to have a great life matter of fact we're not going to get it all right and we can still have a great life because jesus is good and he's real Amen. That's it. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.